Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So it is the first Sunday of Advent today, and I am very here for it. Uh, I love all things Advent. I love all things Christmas. Christmas has the best music of any time of the year. Christmas music is the best music. If you believe anything else, you are incorrect. You may think that your college fight song, your college that beat their rival yesterday, that that fight song is the best music. You are wrong. Christmas music is the best music. Christmas is a great time. Advent is a great time for food. I mean, if you work in an office, like cookies for the next month will like randomly show up like many days of the week. Who knows where they come from? I know where they're going. There is great food. We just got done with, with Thanksgiving. Now it's Christmas. It's going to be great. The food is awesome. And everywhere you look, it is beautiful. I mean, in Florida, we make fake foam snow and think it's pretty cool, and put it everywhere, right? Everything about it, every place that we go is transformed. I am particularly uh, in love with and fascinated by sort of the lighting of Christmas trees. Now, when my friends sort of who were in Chicago this weekend posted pictures of the lighting of the huge tree in Chicago, I couldn't help but stare at it. As I watched people last night show the picture of the mayor lighting the tree down in Straub Park, I was there. I was, I was watching. I was excited for it. And in my house, as soon as the first hint of darkness is creeping onto the eastern horizon, the tree goes on. And if you try to turn that tree off before the very last person is in bed, you are incorrect. And I'm going to tell you about it. And I'm going to tell you about it swiftly with some volume. I love it. But by telling you about this joy of mine, by telling you about how much I love Advent and Christmas, I'm opening myself up to you for ridicule. Why? Because we, we live in a culture that likes to have distance. We live in a culture where it's cool to be ironic, where it's cool not to show an emotion, to not be super joyful about anything. That's sort of the air that we breathe. That's what everybody sort of does. It's cool to be distant and ironic. And this is because we are joyless, broken people. As a culture, that's kind of where we're at. It's kind of hard in our culture to be happy. And anybody who is happy is seen as juvenile. Think of the general cultural conception of Jimmy Fallon, right? Jimmy Fallon, who is happy, who is joyful, who has never seen something he is not willing to get excited about. And what does everybody think of Jimmy Fallon? What a child. Adults watch Colbert. Children watch Jimmy Fallon. Why? Because our culture is distant. It is dark. It is... Well, deep down, what it really is, is it's afraid. Our culture is afraid that if we get excited about something, if we get excited about something, it might not turn out as good as we hoped it would. 
If we get excited about this gift that we're going to get our child, if we get excited about this trip that we're going to go on and things don't go as well as we hoped, then we're left in a worse position than we were before. You see, we're afraid that things won't go well. And so we become cool and reserved and we sit back. I'm not going to get excited about Christmas because I know things about Christmas, kid. I know that Santa Claus was made up by, by Coca-Cola in order to sell Cokes. I've seen some things. We, we act like we are Joaquin Phoenix's Joker who's flicking his cigarette looking at the cops telling them you wouldn't understand. We are grizzled, old, joyless, wonderless creatures. And this isn't just about the culture out there. Church, the call is coming from inside the house. This is us too. More often than not, we as Christians maintain this same ironic distance from everything. This same sort of cool and casual distance. This joylessness. This lack of wonder. And our lack of wonder for those of us who are Christians, our lack of wonder comes from the fact that we don't contemplate what Christmas really means. We don't contemplate what salvation through Jesus that began in many ways on that morning or evening in Bethlehem. We don't think about that. We don't think about dawn breaking through the darkness of our lives in this world. And because we sort of separate ourselves from that, we're left joyless and wonderless. City Church, this Advent, what we're going to be doing is going through and looking at the songs that people sang around the birth of Jesus in the Bible. All four of them, actually, that we're going to be looking at come from Luke's gospel. And we're going to be looking at these people who at different times just burst into song. And the first one we're going to look at is Zechariah. Zechariah was Jesus' uncle. He was also John the baptizer's dad. And the way that the story sort of unfolds that leads up to this moment is that an angel comes to Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, and says, your, your wife is going to get pregnant and your wife is going to have a child. And Zechariah says, and I'm paraphrasing here, how is she going to get pregnant? She's too old. She shouldn't have to pay taxes. She's too old. She's too old. And so God says, no, it is going to happen this way, Zechariah. And because of your lack of faith, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say that you no longer can speak until the child is born. And so Zechariah becomes mute for nine months. Nine months later, the child is born. They're asking what to name the child. And the, the angel had told him that the baby's name should be John. And so as soon as he finds sort of a, a thing to write down and says the baby's name is John, his tongue is loosed. He's all of a sudden not mute anymore. He can speak. And the first thing he says 
after nine months of silence, the first thing he does is he breaks into song, which is exactly what we're going to read. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read verses 67 through 79 of Luke chapter 2. City Church, let's hear what Zechariah said. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us to show mercy, the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you child will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Zechariah, unable to speak for nine months after the birth of his son, John, Jesus's cousin, breaks out in song. He is so overcome. He is so joyous and excited about what the birth of his son means for the world that he can't hold back and he jumps out and he begins to sing and he begins to sing because he knew that the the dark time of silence the silence between the old testament and the new testament between the end of the writing of malachi which was somewhere in the 400 400 years before jesus that silence has ended that god is changing things that God is going to bring forth what he has been doing hidden. He is now going to do visibly. God is going to be faithful to his covenant and to his covenant people. And Zechariah is excited about what that means. That the promises that were made to Abraham, the promises that were made to David, All of those promises are now beginning to come true in Jesus. And even though Jesus isn't born yet, the birth of John is the beginning of that story. We know that as we read the story, that when Mary tells her cousin Elizabeth that she's pregnant, that John the Baptist, while still in the womb, jumps for joy. That there is something incredible going on here. 
And the language that Zechariah used is really interesting because it's language that is sort of double entendre. Now, oftentimes we think of something somewhat lewd when we think of double entendre, that it's something you say that sounds nice, that has another meaning that may be a little bit more sketchy. But double entendre is anything you say one thing that can mean two things. And he uses two of these in this passage. One, he uses the term that God is visiting us. And the other time he says that God is a horn of salvation. And when he uses both of those terms, there's two ideas in them. When he talks about visiting, the Old Testament would use the word visiting to talk about when God would come in wrath. And that when God would come in mercy. He is visiting us in wrath or he is visiting us in mercy, but he is showing up. And the question is, would that matter to you and me? My friend sent me a picture uh, just a few weeks ago, and he had uh, requested an Uber. Um, and so the Uber had matched him to a driver. Uh, the driver was on his way. The driver was very close. And the driver's name was Jesus. Uh, except, you know, the difference between Jesus and Jesus, when written, is not typically written with any accents. And so the notification he received from Uber said, Jesus is about to arrive. Prepare to meet him outside. <laughs> if, if that was real life, if that was not just a clever trick of Uber, so to speak, and you knew that Jesus was about to show up at your front door, what difference would that make? What would that be like? You see, for some of us, that calls to mind judgment. That calls to mind our guilt. For others of us, it calls to mind comfort. That God is there. That God does care. But here's what happens for most of us. Some of us, that's really comforting. Some of us, that is guilt-inducing. But for most of us, we kind of hear that. And the idea of Jesus showing up at our front door, we go, nah, that's pretty unbelievable. Because church, most of us live our lives functionally like we're deists, not Christians. We think that God is some sort of cosmic watchmaker who twisted all the knobs, pushed it, and said, okay, world, go get them. You don't live your life as if God is practically and intimately involved in the things that happen to you. I don't live my life like God is the one who is practically and intimately involved in the things of my life. Who do you think causes traffic jams. Most of you, when I would ask, what causes traffic in downtown St. Petersburg? You would say, ah, well, the public works, works department doesn't have the timers on the right light, the light timers on the right cycle. That's what causes traffic jams. No, God does. Who wakes your baby up in the middle of the night with a reason to cry? God does. From whose hand do all things good and bad that happen in your life come? They come from God visiting you. Most of us don't think about that. Most of us think that God is distant and uninvolved. 
But one of the things that Advent reminds us of, that Advent reminds us of in an intimate way, is that God is not far off. God is here. He is visiting us. He is with us. And not only is he with us, but he is here with a horn. You know, I, I, in the ancient Near East, the kings would use horns um, for protection and strength. But I couldn't help but thinking about something that happened this week in London. And I can't make this up. This week in London, there was a, a terrorist attack. A guy uh, pulled a, a knife on the London Bridge and began attacking people on the London Bridge. And he was taken down by a guy that came from a fishmonger and he was taken down with a narwhal tusk. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, narwhals are whales with unicorn horns. I mean, that's 100% exactly what they are. They're not mythical. They're legit. And this terrorist was taken down with a narwhal tusk. I don't know. That tusk served both as a weapon and as protection. That is exactly the metaphor that Zechariah is using here. Just like the horn of the bull is both to attack and to protect its children, just like the narwhal tusk in the hands of the dude from London was both to protect and attack, Jesus' salvation is always tied to his judgment. You can't have one without the other. God is not distant. He is here. And he is coming. And he is actively involved in judgment and salvation. But we don't think about that much. If you're here this morning and you're you're not a Christian. I understand that that's something you probably don't think about much at all. Probably something you believe is sort of fantastic. There's a sort of fairy tale at best. Maybe you think it's a sort of pernicious myth at worst. But I want to want to share with you something that uh, that Pascal, the French mathematician, sort of said. Which, by the way, I tried to get my wife to let me name one of our kids both Pascal and his first name Blaze. She turned me down on both accounts. Which is sad. But one of the things that Pascal said was this. He was speaking to one of his friends who was not a believer and he said, Look, if you are right and God is a myth, here's what I've done. I've filled my life with joy and contentment. And I was wrong. Worst case scenario, I die. But if I'm right, Pascal said to his friend, and you're wrong, there's judgment for that. Now, this doesn't prove Christianity is true, but I think it's an invitation for all of us to consider what God is doing and to consider it Seriously, God is bringing salvation. He is visiting us. He is raising up his horn. Why? Zechariah tells us. He says he's doing this 
so that he is doing this so that we might serve him without fear. It's interesting that when Zechariah is finally able to say this, that Zechariah says that in Jesus we are going to be able to serve without fear. Because Zechariah was a Levite. That would, that would be like a church staff member. That's a, a priest. That was Zechariah's job. And the way that it worked is you were on rotation throughout the year. So you had like two weeks on, six weeks off kind of is the way that it worked. And so for this entire nine month period that his wife was pregnant, every time Zechariah had to go to the temple, he knew that he was actively being punished by God for his doubt. And the way that they did different rituals is they would, they would draw straws or cast lots for different things. And the temple was a place that was so revered, it was so holy, that when the priest would go into certain portions of the temple, they would tie a rope on him, because if he was not clean, he'd drop dead, and they'd have to fish him out. Now imagine, that's your work environment, knowing that you are currently under God's judgment. And what does he say as his son John is born? The harbinger, the precursor, the forerunner of Jesus. Ah, because of what is starting now, we are all going to be able to serve God without fear. Some of us need to be reminded that we're going to be able to serve God without fear. Others of us need to be reminded that that there is something to be afraid of. That there is judgment. That there is a horn. You see, in order for the message of Advent to be wonderful, you have to admit that you're a sinner. You have to admit that there's a reason why Zechariah would be thinking about how wonderful it will be to serve God without fear. You have to be willing to admit that you have stuff going on in your heart that's not good. That is sinful. Because if you're anything like me, we're quick to say, ah, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, yes, yes. Broken, messed up on the t-shirt. See, I say that. But when it comes to actually taking a good hard look in the mirror, actually admitting my sin, I'm quick to sugar over it. I'm quick to sort of go, yeah, 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 I do sins, but uh, have you seen this person? Jesus, let me tell you. What about that person? They're a bad sinner. I read about this person online. <laughs> you, you wouldn't believe the things they've done, Jesus. So, you know, I'm not so bad. Jesus, you know, yes, yes, I have, I have hurt someone else in this relationship, but you should see what they did to me, Jesus. Yes, yes, I yelled at my kids, but you wouldn't believe what my spouse did. Yes, I, I, I did this, but, and we're quick to deflect. We're quick to try to pretend that we've got it together by, by misdirecting towards others. I do this. And when I do this, what it does is it cheapens what Jesus has done. 
whenever I pretend that I'm better than I'm not, whenever I deflect and turn away from my sinfulness, it cheapens what Jesus has done for me. It cheapens the message of Advent. You see, the ability to which we are able to see and experience wonder is the ability for, is the degree to which we are able to see our need for Jesus and what he has done for us. Let me rephrase that for you. You don't experience wonder and joy at Christmas because you don't actually think you're a sinner. The reason why Christmas is not wonderful and joyful is because you think you've got it together or you at least think that there's other people that are worse than you. And that's why you don't have joy and wonder at Christmas because you don't, you're not actually being saved from anything. Our degree to experience joy and wonder is directly tied to how much we think we need Jesus. To how much, as, as Zechariah says, how we are going to serve him in holiness and righteousness. That is not your holiness. That is not your righteousness or mine. That is the holiness and righteousness that is given to us by Jesus. That we don't deserve and that we can't earn. When you begin to see that, that is going to change you. That is going to fill you with wonder. It's going to fill you with joy. The fact that salvation is coming in Jesus changes us and it changes everything else in the world around us as well. At the very end, Zechariah begins to bless his son, John. And as he begins to bless his son, John, he prophesies specifically that he is going to be the harbinger. He's going to be the forerunner. He's going to be the herald of the one that is to come. And we see that in the Gospels, that John the baptizer shows up and begins saying, prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way for what God is doing. Dawn is breaking. The king is coming. Darkness is disappearing because God is not distant. The darkness is disappearing because God is not just being faithful to his covenant, but because he is being and showing his tender love towards us. In fact, the the idea here when it says that the tender mercy of our God is love that wells up from your gut. Right? It's mushy. It's, it's that kind of love that is deep-seated in you. John comes along and says, things are going to change because God is not distant. Things are going to change because God has a people who he loves. He cares so much about us that he enters into our mess. I know everybody kind of like gasped a little bit when when Jess made the illusion of how like bad it is for an infant like how dependent they are everybody kind of got a wee bit uncomfortable about the illustration she used of the helplessness of a baby she's not wrong that's how much Jesus cares and wants to be near to you that he leaves 
all of the treasures of heaven, all of the, he leaves the right hand of the father to come to earth and get colic. He leaves the right hand of the father to come and be born here to a peasant, low class, blue collar, craft working family in a backwards suburb of a nowhere country and a nowhere town on the edge of the Roman Empire. A, an empire without running water. Jesus comes because of how much he values you. Not just as someone made in his image, but how much he values you who are here, who are Christians, as the sons and daughters of God. You see, the wonder of Advent is that God loved his children so much that he came like that as a baby, as he gave up heaven in order to bring you all the stuff that Zechariah mentions. Zechariah mentions redemption, salvation, mercy, forgiveness, all of the benefits we have in Christ. Jesus wins them for us at the cost of his life. That's what Advent's about. About Jesus loving you so much, he'll enter into this mess. He'll enter into this. So church, if you're here this morning, here's the call to you. Call to you this morning is to wonder, is to stand in awe and joy at what Jesus has done for you, about how much he loves you. So instead of the ever-present cynicism, the distance and the coolness, the irony, what if this year, what if City Church, we were a people who were characterized by joy and wonder this Advent? What if as we went about our lives, in our offices, in our gyms, in our homes, we were people that broke into song like Zechariah. We were people who were less Scrooge and more Tiny Tim. What if we were people who were so captured by the awe of what Jesus has done for us that that we become a sort of guerrilla army? fighting and spreading joy and peace instead of cynicism and frustration around St. Petersburg? What if we became those fighters who instead of looking around and always being grumpy about everything being more expensive and there being more people around and traffic being worse and snowbirds starting to arrive, what if instead of getting grumpy about the changes that we don't like around us, our lack of money and whatever else we're grumpy about. What if we were the people that stood in awe of a savior who would leave heaven to come here to enter into our mess because of how much he loved us? What if we became heralds of peace? Just like John the baptizer, just like Zechariah's son. What if we were the people that actively brought wonder to downtown St. Petersburg? Let's be that what if city church and let's pray.